Hello and welcome. Christian mindfulness is our present study here on Search for Truth. Thank you for joining us for another study in our series called The Mindfulness Jesus Endorses. This week, Brian looks at one of the most important experiences a Christian must undertake in order to be a true and effective disciple of the Lord Jesus. That experience is renewing your mind. It's something the Bible mentions quite prominently. So let's go to Brian now to discover more about it. Thanks, John. When the Spirit of God communicates with the Spirit of our mind, He uses God's Word, bringing it to our attention. The Word of God is the instrument of revival. But here's a question. Why is there sometimes revival without reformation, at either a personal or a national level? To take an example, in the 1980s, a Gallup poll survey in the US returned the result that a very high percentage of people believed the Bible to be God's word. But alongside that, the poll also found that there was no discernible difference between Christians and non-Christians when it came down to deciding upon moral and ethical issues. In other words, Christianity was making a vanishingly small impact on the surrounding culture. By way of contrast, in the 18th century England, the Wesleyan revival produced a nationwide reformation which has been recognised by secular historians, historians who said that it spared England the fate that had befallen the French, that is, England had escaped a revolution. Before England's 18th century revival, that is, prior to England being impacted by God's word, it was a land of drugs, drunks and blood sports. By contrast, For all the estimated 60 million Christian believers that were estimated to be in the US in the 1980s, it appears that the spirit of the age and a focus on worldly media had shaped the thought patterns of believers such that revival, if we can even call it that, had not then nor now produced any noticeable reformation of behaviour. Why the difference between America's experience in the 20th century and that of England in the 18th century? The missing element in modern times in the Western world has been a failure to pay personal attention to spiritual transformation. That's a rather big statement, and we're going to have to explain what we mean by spiritual transformation. So let's get to that now. The Apostle Paul, for only the second time in his letter to Christians at Rome, issues imperatives in the 12th chapter when he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice that he mentions the renewing of the mind. That's how transformation comes about. That's how change can be effected. Habits and behaviours will never be changed unless we have our thinking renewed. As Paul says, our mind has to be renewed. The passive alternative is to have our thinking shaped by the influence of the world around us, namely by the pressure of our peers. As, for example, when we instinctively and brainlessly like what others are liking on Facebook. The world is so good at squeezing us into its mould, in the same way jelly takes the shape of whatever mould you choose to put it into when you pour it out as liquid and let it set. When instead we allow our perceptions to be adjusted by what we read in God's Word, 
then our minds are renewed. And this biblical kind of transformation then takes place. Which mould for our thinking will we choose? Will it be an ungodly world or will it be God's word? Beware of an untransformed mind. It's such a poor Christian testimony. Transformation is exactly what happens to the caterpillar as it morphs into a butterfly. It's also the same word used biblically for the transfiguration of the Lord's natural body in Matthew chapter 17. You remember how we're told that he was glorified in it and he will also be in his mystical body, the church. But that lies in the future. We want to remain in the present where in practical terms being renewed to a proper mindfulness of God means affirming that God's will is best. That way we'll escape the censure Peter received when failing to discern God's will. He foolishly attempted to deflect the Lord's purpose away from the cross. That was when he received the rebuke that he was not being mindful of the things of God. Other things, worldly ambitions, were uppermost in his mind then, displacing God's plans and God's will. Now, when we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we hear the Apostle Paul speaking out of personal experience. And he speaks there about carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. Our outer man, he says, is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Notice this also mentions an inner renewal. It's another angle on it. The context here is Paul talking very candidly to the Corinthians about some of his many afflictions in service for the Lord. His theme teaches that blessings come out of buffetings. As well as the spreading of grace through the progress of the gospel as it's preached, inner renewal takes place in the Lord's servant, in the Christian worker, who as a result of mistreatment has the opportunity of becoming like Christ in his death. If you're facing difficulties, even as you try to live faithfully for the Lord, allow yourself to feel encouragement from Paul's words. In the longer term, in the bigger picture of our lives, there's no comparison between present frustrations and future glories. As we continue our biblical exploration of spiritual transformation through this biblical renewal process, we next come to Paul's teaching to the church at Colossae. In chapter 3 he says, You have been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Renewal again, you'll note. This is the right way in which to be otherworldly or heavenly minded. When we are heavenly minded in this way, then we are of maximum earthly use for the Lord. It's about living at a higher level and so not falling short of God's image through behaving in ways inconsistent with our new identity as a Christian. This Bible text is about the sort of mindfulness that's produced in a believer on the Lord Jesus when he or she is moment by moment practising what it means to be conscious of eternal realities. We've just spoken about living at a higher level through this kind of mindfulness. I want to now give you an illustration of that. In an earlier age of flying, a man was in an old biplane 
a very flimsy and primitive machine compared to what we're used to now. As he flew it solo, complete with helmet and goggles in the open cockpit, he heard with some alarm the sound of a nearby gnawing. Very soon he realised this meant there was a rat on board, a little stowaway that was at that moment endangering his life. What if that sound was it chewing its way through some vital cable, like a fuel line perhaps? There was no time to reach land safely, so the pilot did the opposite. He flew higher and higher. As the little plane progressively gained altitude, the gnawing sound stopped. In the higher air, there was less oxygen, and the rat couldn't survive. He was now safe. The things that endanger our spiritual lives can become dormant if we live at a higher level by setting our mind on things above, consistent with the rule of Christ. In this famous Bible section of Colossians chapter 3 and the first 17 verses, we are taught how to ensure our often conflicted desires and motives are arbitrated by the peace of Christ. It comes about when we allow his word to reside in us for our instruction and admonition. By opening our spirit to his, to receive his revelation in the word, it engages our mind and filters down to our heart. There it shapes our will and sets the course of our life. In all of this, mindfulness is the key. If we are constantly mindful of our having died with Christ and of the present status of our life as hidden with Christ and God, we'll discover the motivation to put to death by the Spirit the deeds of our body, meaning things like immorality and greed. A previous generation of Christians called this process mortification. Day by day, as we journey to our destiny, we should be actively concerned to exchange the elements of self for those of Christ's character, namely compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness and love. It's mindfulness of our union with Christ that motivates the discipline of endeavouring to have our every action characteristic of the Lord. But Paul's not yet done talking on this practical topic of spiritual renewal of our mind. In Ephesians chapter 4 he says, Walk no longer just as the Gentiles, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the hardness of their heart, have given themselves over to sensuality. But you did not learn Christ in this way, in reference to your former manner of life. Lay aside the old self, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which, in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Here, finally, it's explicitly the renewal of the spirit of our mind. It's about forsaking a lifestyle of futility by learning of Christ. It's about Christ becoming everything to us. After a performance of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, the audience gave conductor Arturo Toscanini and the Philadelphia Philharmonic Orchestra a prolonged ovation. Toscanini turned to his musicians and whispered, Gentlemen, you are nothing, he said. That didn't surprise them, apparently, since his routine method for extracting more performance from them was to belittle or criticise their play. But what he said next did shock them, for he said, And I am nothing. Then he added, but Beethoven is everything. Our aim is to get to the point in Christian experience when we can truly say, I am nothing, but Christ is everything. He must increase and we must decrease. 
to get there, we have to lay aside, we have to forsake past futile ways. That's the first step before we can put on, before we can learn Christ. Personal spiritual transformation is about exchanging elements of our corrupted self for the elements of his character by renewing the spirit of our mind. This is clear in the text that talks about laying aside the futile elements and then putting on the new self as renewed in the image of God. This is still all by God's grace, of course, but it does require effort on our part. By the renewing of our mind comes the reforming of our character, one behaviour or one habit at a time. Thanks, Brian, for your talk today. Don't forget, there's a transcript book for all the talks in the series, and it's available free on request by asking for the title The Mindfulness Jesus Endorses. You can order the book by email or by post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info You might be interested to know that many titles of Search for Truth transcript books have been made into e-books and if you go on to amazon.co.uk forward slash kindle hyphen e-books you'll find them if you put Search for Truth series into the search box. So, thanks once more for the pleasure of your company and please join us again next week if you can when Brian will bring us another Bible study. It has the intriguing title, The Four R's. Till then, it's very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, our technician, David, our singers and me, John. So, cheerio and may God richly bless you. <laughs>